Amen. Good morning, New Heights. Good morning. Good morning. Anyone know what happens to starts tomorrow? BBS. BBS. Your hint was that we are not redecorating the sanctuary. And it's on the screen. Oh. <laughs> Starting tomorrow, it starts at six. It's Bible study itself starts at six thirty. It runs from six thirty to nine. However, we will be serving a light meal. Um, starting at 6 o'clock every day. Um, so invite your friends, invite your grandkids, invite your children's friends. Maybe have your children invite their friends. Um, and if you uh, look around to this wall over here, come with me. On the So these, my friends, my, the key verse for um, Bible school is actually in your bulletin. It was on that wall, but apparently that wall doesn't like sticky tape our tech tape, which is John 20:31, And Pastor Dan, will you start me off on how it goes? If I can remember it. These have been written. That you, mm, that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God. Ooh, so that is the key verse for BBS. And uh, the um, theme, if you will, the motto, that's what they're called, is still hanging on the wall over there. Zoom in, focus on Jesus. And then back to this wall over here, these are... The verses for the week, starting down on the right. That is over there. The right, that's day one through five. And I'm putting a challenge. This challenge, I hope Michael doesn't mind, but if you kids remember every year for VBS, if you memorize all of the verses and can say them, you get to do something to Mr. Michael. Last year it was slime, or was it silly? I think it was slime. Last year was slime. But this year, because we are also trying our best to practice, um, we're practicing safe VBS. We're going to do a little bit of doing social distancing when we can. So for this year's prize, if you will, children, if you memorize all of the verses for VBS and you can recite them next Sunday morning, you will get to put, you, you'll get to throw a pie in Mr. Michael's face. And that not only goes for the children, adults, I know you've always wanted to pie Mr. Michael, so uh, <laughs> that challenge is also for you. So these are all the verses, um, and the, um, the reference is here, so if you want to write them down and work on memorizing them, these will not be here for you to cheat next Sunday morning. So sorry, but that's okay. <laughs> all right, and I don't believe there are any other announcements. Um, but a couple things to keep you all aware of. Uh, our food pantry, if you notice, you remember all of those boxes that were stacked up in the cafeteria a couple weeks ago? Our food pantry is uh, it's stocked and we are getting our, we are putting the finishing touches, getting everything out, getting the flyers mailed out so that we can move to having our food pantry open. And kids, this one's for you. We have a plan put together to get the playground up and running again so the goal is to get our mulch delivered this week i know it's during bbs and i know it'd be very tempting to run up the um mountain of mulch but we're going to ask that you stay off the mulch yes so in the next in the next we don't we don't have an end date but we, we want to have a grand reopening of the playground when that does happen but it, it's, it's closer than you may think so don't fret all right and mr tony say will you open us up in a word of prayer please Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for yourself. Thank you for just yourself. 
Uh, just, we're just talking about today, John 10, 10. Thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And John 10 says that anyone who tries to get in the gate is not getting a door, because you're the one that's the door, is a thief. It's not just against Satan, it's anyone that tries to go in on their own. Comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then you say, I have come. You think that you came. That you did nothing else but do what you wanted to do and come for us. That we may have life. That we are no longer dead, we are alive in you. And to have an abundant life, or life to the full. Which God, we thank you for the many blessings. Also, I think eternity with you is the greatest life we'll ever have. And that your eternity lives here on this earth. Those are yours. So Father, we just thank you right now that you're blessing, that we are blessed, that we be protected. Father, we thank you for the natural, our talents, our treasures, the things you give us every day, and the supernatural, your fruit, your armor, your righteousness, our intercession, prayer, all that is yours, God, that we give back to you. We thank you that you've given it to us as a gift. Father, we ask for the worship team and the praise team, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, what Pastor Dan would have, or whatever words that we fall in today, that we would realize that this is a great, glorious moment to hear your words. And um, God, that this could set up our whole week, or maybe it just needs to set up this day. So we just thank you, God, for what you're about to do for all these amazing people, for your amazing love and mercy. In Jesus' name.
Okay, we come to that moment in time where we ask ourselves, how's the Lord been speaking to us this last week? What have you seen in the last seven days? What have you read in your Bibles? What have you heard? How has God shown you something? So hey, pay attention to that. Sometimes you might think that's only for you, like God was speaking to you, and that might be true. The message that you hear definitely don't ever apply anything you hear from the Lord to anyone else unless God specifically tells you to take it to them, and then you still have to, between the two of you, figure out how to apply it. But always apply what God says to you to you. And then sometimes when you share what you've heard from the Lord, it shows others how you've heard from the Lord, how the Lord has been speaking. And that's a lot of what the Bible is about. God spoke to so many people in so many different ways. The theme was one, of course, redemption through Jesus Christ. But the fact is there's so many people in so many different ways heard from the Lord. And then we're able to look at that a lot of times and see how we can hear, see how we can be directed. And so this is that moment in time where we're talking about reaching new heights in Jesus, kind of, sort of. So what have you heard the last week? Go ahead and share. What have you got? Once. All right, brother Tony's eight, and then we'll get uh, Tyler next. Yeah. Right. So, um, if I go to Montana, because I'm just kind of in a school, I just speak through here. Um, so, uh, I, there's only three things I have to do. The first thing is, and I, I, I like to say this, be transparent, you know, easily, um, without Christ. That's easy. Easily manipulated, easily intimidated. And um, easily, um, it's easy for someone to have control over me because I usually just give up, shrink back, and uh, I just kind of go with the flow. And so, but in Christ, um, the boldness, the authority, the love, the power, the mercy, all that stuff, it shakes that stuff off. And um, I would say this, you know, even as a kid, um, I just remember like it was almost like it was too easy, like. We, we'll feed this kid, you know, you know, and basically uh, he'll crumble. And so, you know, until I was here at Christ, until I was 23 years old, some people heard it when they're five, six, seven, eight. Thank you, Jesus, that you heard it. I'm so glad. Uh, but I, I didn't, I never heard of Jesus until I was 23 years old, what he did and what he's done for me. And I, you've heard this story, but a seven-year-old man looked right at me with a smile on my face and knew I was dead on the inside. There was nothing I could do to escape, you know, um, I would say just tragedy after tragedy. Were there good times? Of course. It wasn't all bad. But when I gave my life to Jesus, Jesus came into my life. And um, looking back, I just know that God's never misled me or misrepresented in any way. I might mislead him or misrepresent him. He's never misled me. So I had an encounter yesterday. And uh, I really felt that it was for, this is for the church. I really believe it. And if you don't like it, come talk to me. Because I'm not out here trying to... Okay, I'm more encouraging you or making you think about your decisions. And if God's speaking something else, then this is what God's going to tell you. But uh, I, I was, uh, and Pastor Dan asked me I could say it, so, and he wants to follow up, it's fine. But I called Pastor Dan. Um, there was this text about VBS, um, and um, I just thought that it, that it was pushing more of an obligation that we have to do this instead of, um, you know, what, what God is asking us to do. And so I, the Lord told me to call him, and I was like, I don't want to call him. <laughs> I'm like, I've been, I've done this before, and usually when I call someone, they're usually going to have their little take on it, or they're going to, you know, they're they're going to say I'm coming out of the wrong spirit, you know, or you know, I'm going to start some kind of opposition, you know. And I, I like, first I got to say, you guys are so blessed. You're already blessed, to, and not making fun of anything, but Pastor Dan, through the humility, this learn to have the authority in Christ 
um, to uh, to just serve and, and know that it, it's Lord first in everything we do. Does he mess up? Of course, but he's letting God do the rest. The ability of Christ to do what he's supposed to do. And that, I, I see that a lot of you guys. Well, I called him up and I said, you know, I felt like I was being manipulated with this, this verse, or with this text. And uh, he shared, he followed up, and he said, well, actually, we all agreed on this. This was not obligation. We just all agreed that we would all work together, whether we were going to teach or pass something out. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, I'm glad you said that. That makes more sense of what was going on. And the reason I was sharing this today is I was shaking in my boots to do this, sweating. I, I almost wanted to cry because I didn't want to talk. And I say this because I feel like that's how everybody else feels. You know, we should be able to talk to each other. We should be able to encourage each other. Iron sharpens iron. We are iron. We are not. You know, and if you're not iron, let's let's make you iron. And I'm like, like I'm iron. I'm only iron if I'm iron is because of what Jesus has done in my life. It's what Jesus revealed to me. I've been on the other side of churches. And I'm not making fun of them. That's still his bride. That bride is living foolishly. You know, but they intimidate you. They, they, they try to take control. They, they try to manipulate either because they're ignorant and I'll finish with this, this word ignorant, I call it the double ignorance. You either ignored all your life and you actually don't know what you're doing, or you actually choose to ignore and you've actually rebelled. You know, and you want to be rebellious. You don't want to listen. You don't want to um, humble yourself. You know, and I say there's a greater mercy, it's my belief, there's a greater mercy on those who are ignored, not those who are ignoring. I'm not saying they can't be saved, I'm not saying they can't be reached. But there's a greater mercy because they didn't even know anybody. Why did Jesus have the Sermon on the Mount to all these tax collectors and prostitutes or just poor people? Because they were ignored on their lives. They were let down. And Jesus wasn't going to let them down. He fed them the word. He fed them the truth. You know? So there are those out there that truly have been ignored. I've talked to many people. When I talk to them, it's almost like they've never heard. And it breaks my heart. Like, has not someone shared Jesus? Is there enough Christians out there? Once again, I'm not pointing fingers. If God's convicting you, Go before him, repent, and do this. Go out there and share Jesus. Because they will never be exposed to their evil deeds unless we bring the light of truth. And if they're in fear and they want to stay in their evil deeds, that's their choice. Uh, Pastor Dan said, Sunday through the Spirit of God, I loved it. I got a chance to listen, listen to the podcast and you missed it. Listen to it again. If they're in a darker place and you look at them and you say, you're stupid, if you haven't shared Jesus, of course they are. If you haven't shared the truth or opened their heart or enlightened them to Christ, they're never going to change. They're never going to care. But if they do change or turn around, you know, then there's a reason. But after that, yeah, they truly have rebelled against God. They have a right to because they don't want what God has. So that's okay. So my heart is, brothers and sisters, we have to reach out to each other first. I think we should reach out to the lost. But I'm saying this. I hope you're hearing the voice text. I hope you encourage me and say, hey, that's part of God. Or I don't know if that was from God or... You're just a little flaky. Let me know. I am not perfect. I have my natural gifts, my, my voice, my mouth. You can tell I talk a lot. That's something God's given me. It's a gift. And, you know, I, I'm going to talk a lot. I'm going to preach. I'm going to keep doing it. And then there's the supernatural gifts. I'm coming under his revelation, under his fruit, under his armor. I'm coming under his strength, under his righteousness, under him, under his authority of doing these things. So let's, let's get to know each other. Let's talk to each other. Because I think the hardest thing is when I got a chance to Pastor Dan said, feel free to share what you have to share. That broke this, this yoke I've had for years of feeling that 
You know, I can't go to someone because they might be better than me, or I can't go to someone because, you know, that they know more than me. I can't go to someone because he might be upset. I think that's something we all have to shake off and realize that we are all on the same boat. Without Christ, we are sinking in a boat. With Christ, every hole is absolutely gone. There is no holes. The only hole is our, is our selfishness. In Christ, there's no hole. We are going to float all the way home to heaven. There's nothing that we can, that nothing can do about that. And I say this, you're freely accepted and loved by God. Even you kids, you are freely accepted and loved by God. In Christ, and only in Christ, through Jesus, you accept Jesus, your heart, you put your faith and trust Him, then you freely are accepted to love Him and to be under His workmanship. But you cannot have Him without turning to Christ first. Mm -hmm. He will freely accept and love you for the day you die and go to hell. And not make fun of anyone. That's not easy. But that's a warning. God could have sunk our ship from the day we were born. God could have sunk our ship when, we, when He felt like, you know what, you're too much. No, God keeps letting us go until we will freely accept, be freely accepted and love Him and turn to Him. Now, you already know this could. Encourage and re-encourage. Share it with someone. Stop holding in this amazing truth we have. Not hear it. Spew it out of your mouth. Overflow your heart should share it. Just let it out. Let it out to your brother. Let it out to your sister. I guarantee you there are people going through stuff right now. I have not, and I'm not and I'm done with this. I'm not going to anyone. If I'm going too long, tell me. 30 seconds. I am saying this with my heart, not because I need it. I could use it. But only two brothers I know, you probably know, Pastor Dan encouraged me all the time. I'm just honoring you, Pastor. That's all. I'm honoring your name, Daniel. Thank you for what you do. But I've only had another brother who I won't tell by name, but he called me one time. And said, how are you doing? After I talked to him, I'm thankful for that. I've had not one brother reach out to me. I'm not making fun of you. I'm saying, this is a year we need to reach out to each other. And if you reach out to your other brothers, fine. But I'm telling you, I could use it. I don't need it. I'm not saying because I'm not obligating you to it. If God is telling you to do this, go for it. And I'm sure God is asking you to encourage your brother or encourage your sister or reach out and see how they're doing or pray or share scripture something because you have something that you have in you that's not for you, but it's to give a gift to someone else. Amen. That's all it is. All right, where did I go? Anyway, I shared this with you on uh, Tuesday, and I just shared with my dad. Anyway, uh, started a devotional called Devotional 365. And on uh, Tuesday, it's kind of cool. We've been talking about service and such. And uh, the basic, uh, they were saying, uh, look, uh, find. Look for ways that uh, you can bless your neighbor, shine your light on them, or any way you can see God to serve them or bless them. I just had me and Tyler about mowing grass. I come back and I was mowing the lady yard across from my house. And uh, old man Ron lived next to my parents. And uh, we, uh, we was mowing, he come out. And I have music in my head when I'm mowing and I wasn't paying attention and he was sitting there just Michael, Michael, Michael. But anyway, got my attention he said, uh, can you, can you help me? And then uh, after I did the devotion, I prayed to ask God, I said, uh, send somebody my way I can help, or that can be beneficial for me doing something for them. Anyway, guess. I don't know if I can lay some stone in his driveway, some plastic lay some stone, and then uh, I'm going to put some dirt in his garden around the flowers up front. Anyway, it's kind of, it's just reaffirming what I've, what I've been doing is what I'm supposed to do. And then I, I texted Dean and I said, if you don't think God's at work, slap yourself. <laughs> That's the kind of a thing anyway. But uh, it was kind of cool and it, it excited me. 
And uh, it, 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 it was a blessing to me to be able to help about. Awesome. Uh, I was at work, and as Tim can probably vouch for and probably carry, my, my job can be stressful at times, especially when I'm trying to, like, uh, um, when I'm trying to make my schedule for all my vacant apartments and what vendor's going to do what on what day, and it's like a tangled web and everything weaves together in a certain way. Um, so, you know, I've just been pretty stressed out lately because the, the management threw some things at me, moved up some dates that weren't supposed to be moved up, and blah, blah, blah. Never any story in this industry. But um, I was sitting there on a day that I had people coming to demo an apartment for me, you know, rip out all the old stuff, so put all the new stuff in. And then I had the big blue dumpster, you know, the hallway dumpsters that were supposed to be delivered, but it wasn't there yet. And then I had another group there trashing out another apartment that people left like half their stuff. So I'm like, and everything started falling in line. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Except for the dumpster hadn't showed up. God, please, please let this dumpster show up on time. So they got their whole truck loaded up, all that junk from that that trash out and as they pulled up the blue dumpster was being set down on the ground and I, I said thank you God and you know in my head while I was working I was like thank you God your, your timing you know, worked out great it's perfect and I decided you know it worked out just in time and I heard him or the spirit reply to me and say my timing isn't just on time it's perfect and uh I felt led to share that, why, whatever, but while I was working, my, my maintenance tech Dale was there with me, and the whole time it's just burning in my mind to share this with Dale. You need to share this with Dale. I'm like, he doesn't believe in God. He, he, I know he does. He's voiced it many, many times. And uh, so I shared it with him, and he didn't say anything. Who knows what it's doing? Not as hard. So. But I shared it. I did what I was supposed to. Do all. <laughs> we got another? Okay. Uh, there's a fan that Ron got me. It's uh, August Burnbread. They're a really good band. Now, a lot of their lyrics is really, really good. But I like that kind of music because it's very heavy metal rock. Uh, but one of their songs off their new album is called Lighthouse. Um, the last, the last little bit of it says, "Rise up, reach out, have pity, let the outcast in. Rise up, reach out, a stranger's face in a foreign place. Rise up, reach out, shutting out the poor won't lead to a cure." And it says, who will rise up and reach out? Take another look around. There's so much loss to be found. People everywhere are hurting, even though they're counted out. There's so much loss to be found. So the biggest thing that stuck out with me in this was the shutting out the poor won't lead to a cure. 
So if we are if we are going to be a church that shuts people out just because they're different, they're not you don't believe 100% what they believe, and you guys have differences, if that's going to be if that's going to be the church to shut people out like that, that's not going to lead to anything. That's not going to lead people to Christ. That's not. That's going to lead people further away from God. So, I've always felt as a church, even before I became a Christian, I always thought that a church was supposed to let anybody in. It don't matter where you come from, who you are, what you believe in. The church as a per, as a body is supposed to let anybody in, and I feel that that's has to be the way it is because if we don't let anyone show up. If we shut people out, then all we're doing is leading them to their destruction. We're helping them lead to their own destruction if we shut people out. So don't be afraid to let people in, even if you don't believe what they do. Because you never know, God might work in that, and then they might start believing in God and Christ, and they might start, you, you might find a best friend you never thought was possible. You just can't shut people out. They're still here. There's still a chance, right? They're still living. They're still taking breath. There's still a chance. And for all you know, ten years, twenty years down the road, they might be walking in the kingdom. And some of the people that you think are surely Christians, they might not be in it. That's a good word. Okay. Well, let's pray together. Uh, as I pray, so, you know, I'm praying uh, for two families today that have possibly been exposed to somebody who had COVID. They're not with us, um, and so. We don't know what that looked like. The one uh, ends the quarantine tomorrow, so probably she's okay. The other uh, only heard about it more recently. So you probably know folks who are like that. And so when I pray about not only for them, but then for any that we know, and not only for any that we might know, but for our nation and for the world. This is a very serious time. It is no joke. Uh, at the same time, it is nothing new. The Lord knows. He has seen these things before, and he is able to see us through whatever that looks like. So we'll look to him, and then we'll pray for us. Tithes and offerings are going be coming in, and then uh, we'll pray for the rest of our service. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this work that you've been doing, this effort that you've been putting in. You tirelessly bless your people. You favor us. You speak to us. You call us to get outside our box and do what's got to be done, to, to share what you've done in us and shown us with another person, to be welcoming, re outreaching, and pulling people toward us so that uh, you may, they, they may know you. They may have an opportunity to encounter someone who truly believes in a way, hopefully, hopefully we can live our lives in a way that demonstrates that we love you back and that we are your light to this world uh, as you work in us. Father, we pray for those who are hurting all across the world, uh, specifically those families that we know of who have possibly been exposed Lord, I want to pray for Stacy Graves as well. I know she's not necessarily been anything to do with COVID, but she's really struggling with what went on a few weeks ago with her mind and the medicines, and they don't know if it's a side effect of a medicine or if it's because of the seizure or stroke that she may have had. She's really struggling. She needs clarity of thought even to be able to do it. She can't drive, and she can't sometimes think straight, and she's having something like what some might call dementia or um, just kind of losing her mind as to where she's at at the time. And, becoming very afraid and so Lord, we're just asking you to work in our situation and the situation of those that we know who are suffering and then lord we know you want to bring people unto yourself and, and people need to survive to do that um, if this is specifically a tactic orchestrated by the enemy to take people down um, 
then, Lord, we ask you to shut it down. We ask you to put an end to it. And we don't mean uh, for things to go any kind of controlling way or any kind of the government forcing things. Or um, we, we believe in our government, which is supposed to be a government by the people, but we believe in you above all. We know that government will not fix it. Laws will not fix it. No amount of money will fix it. Um, Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ must be heard. People need to be saved. People need to repent and turn to you. I pray that even as that is happening, because we hope it is, we hope that the church will step up and become faithful and share. Um, we know we're called to do that. It's not so much an obligation as it's what we should love to do. We should want others to uh, experience you the way that we have. And if we have not experienced you, then clearly it will be impossible to share that experience with somebody else. Lord, we look to you. We look to you for, for leadership. We look to you for direction, for discernment. We look to you to protect us and guide us in what's kind of been a crazy time. We've had some really cool things happen and you've blessed us immensely. And at the same time, the world all around us. And we could literally use this word and say that the world is dying. Because hundreds of thousands of people have died all over the world. The countries all over the world. And at the same time, we'll pray. We pray that people will come to know you in a personal way before they die. Lord, the true tragedy we now understand from your word and from your Holy Spirit, the true tragedy would not be to die in this day, but to die never having lived. And so, for whatever our part is, we ask you to empower us and to activate us to do that. As we give back to you tithes and offerings today, as we give back to you out of the blessings that you have given us financially, we realize that the money is representative at best. You can take a dollar and multiply it a million times. There is no set dollar amount exactly that you need to run the ministry or to do the work because you certainly have all the resources necessary. This is an act of worship. It's something we desire to do and we believe your word leads us to do. We want to be found faithful with that which you blessed us with. Please take it and our service and the remainder of our time and make it something that glorifies you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much.
and we're gonna. This is the BBS theme song for this year in the wild. So children, come on down. I need. I know. I all need you to get really tall, really fast. So you guys can. You guys don't know yet. So I'm gonna learn. Yeah. Right here. Come on. Come here. Come, come on. Come on, Zane. Come on, Zane. Come on, Zane. Come on, Zane. Can I come up or is it just Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here we go. All right. So the words, in the, the words are going to be up there, but I'm going to be doing the motions. We're going to do this again. Ready? Let's go. I'll be about three seconds behind you at best. Words are ready. Come on, A-A-Rom.
Not really as long ago as you might think, there was a scientific principle called spontaneous generation. You may or may not have heard of it. I'm going to explain to you basically what it is. Spontaneous generation refers to a body of thought on the ordinary formation of living organisms without descent from similar organisms. In other words, scientists believe that organisms sort of bursted into being when the time was right, regardless of having come from other organisms of the same kind. The theory of spontaneous generation held that living creatures could arise from non-living matter, so in other words like maggots from rats, from rotting garbage, things like that. They believed that those living organisms just kind of spontaneously came out of the non-living matter and that such processes were commonplace and regular, so they thought this was true all over the world. For instance, it was hypothesized that certain forms such as fleas could arise from inanimate matter such as dust or that maggots could arise from dead flesh. A variant idea was that of equivocal generation in which species such as tapeworms arose from unrelated living organisms which we now understand to be their hosts. The idea of univocal generation by contrast refers to effectively exclusive reproduction from genetically related parents. In other words, univocal generation means you came from where you came from. So maggots came from flies. And if you didn't know that, that's where they come from. The maggots are fly babies, basically, and so on. Fleas come from fleas. They don't come from animals, right? So univocal basically says that you actually come from uh, members of the same species. That ties perfectly in with Genesis, where God says he created them and they would be after their kinds. The doctrine of spontaneous generation was coherently synthesized by Aristotle. There's an interesting guy, an interesting name, and he had a lot of really cool thoughts, even, by the way, uh, for part of his life professed to be a Christian, who compiled and expanded the work of earlier natural philosophers and the various ancient explanations for the appearance of organisms, and, he was take, and his was taken as scientific fact for 2,000 years. But then it was challenged in the 17th and 18th centuries, so that's 1600s and 17, or 1700s and 1800s, by the experiments of Francesca Reddy and Lazaro, you don't need to know those names. Spontaneous generation was not disproved until the work of Louis Pasteur, you recognize him, and John Tyndale in the mid-19th century. So not really all that long ago. He invented this thing called the swan-necked flask. It's a glass bottle with a swan neck to create an environment known not to grow microorganisms. So basically inside this flask then, he would create an environment that he knew would not spontaneously create life. You understand? After sterilizing a nutrient broth in these flasks, he removed the swan necks of the controls. So he had two sets. He had the sterilized stuff with the swan necks, and then he had flasks that had not been sterilized, and he took the swan necks off. Okay, And then the microorganisms grew only in the controls, refuting spontaneous generation. So he saw little bits of bacteria and stuff begin to grow, but that was the bottles that had not been sanitized, right? They had not been pasteurized, okay? So proving then that these organisms that everybody thought would just spontaneously start in the stuff would not start in the stuff 
if the, it was a sealed environment where it had been cleaned out of the stuff. So if there was, wasn't already any in there, then no new would come. You follow? By the middle of the 19th century, experiments by Louis Pasteur and others refuted the traditional theory of spontaneous generation and supported biogenesis, which means life gives life. So since then, many attempts to recreate or cause spontaneous generation of life have been tried, and some have even been faked, where they even said, yeah, we did it, yay! And then people went back and it was reviewed by a board of their peers, and they said, no, that doesn't actually work because you didn't, you didn't take out the stuff that was in there. You put stuff in there that would cause it, would cause it to happen, okay? And so I want you to bear that in mind then as we talk today about how what we have is essentially a messy God, a messy kingdom, uh, and I want you to see that. To do that, we're going to look at a story of a few men, a bunch of men actually, who began to believe that God's power, that God's kingdom, that God's church, that God's work was essentially formulaic and replicable. I'm going to explain what those two words mean. Formulaic means it's a formula you can follow. There is a formula. Like if I say, if I put together uh, this much egg, this much flour, this much vanilla, blah, 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 I get a cake and it tastes like X, that's formulaic because I know the formula. If I always put it together correctly, correctly, I will always get the same result. All right. Replicable means I can do it again. So I cook a lot. My cooking is generally not replicable even by me because I don't measure stuff. I don't, I don't think about what goes in there. I just like, I'm going to make something like chili today. And I put some chili type things in there and I taste it and go, oh, that tastes a little bit like chili. And so it's not really, that particular pot is not replicable, replicable, right? It's also not really formulaic because I might not even put the same vegetables in there. Sometimes I use beans, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I use beef, sometimes I use something else. So it's not formula. I'm not following the same pattern with the exception of I'm putting stuff in a pot. Okay, which by definition is messy, not formulaic. All right. Okay, so grab your Bibles if you would now, and let's look at these gentlemen who now believe that they have a handle on it, and it has become formulaic and replica replicable in their day. Okay. All right. Uh, maybe you'll get a little bit excited. I hope you at least exhale loudly as we go to Acts chapter 19. Jesus. I didn't hear anybody on Facebook. Did you hear anybody on Facebook make any noise at all? There was nothing. I didn't hear anything. Uh, there, now I got it. Okay. So I, I'm pretending that I maybe heard somebody. So I hope somebody made some noise. They wouldn't know if each other did anyway, so it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's Acts uh, 19, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11. This is, an, let me be clear, this is an extraordinary time with extraordinary miracles taking place. So it would be ordinary for anybody to see the extraordinary and to begin to expect the extraordinary. You follow the logic? Okay. We know it's an extraordinary time because verse 11 says this, and God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So this is Paul who was Saul, who was persecuting the church, ran into Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm shortening the story a lot. And was blinded for a few days. Ananias came, he healed him, and then boom, he takes the name Paul and he begins to share the gospel. Except there was a period of prep as he was uh, sort of isolating himself from the disciples and so on. He didn't get taught by uh, the disciples, the 11 plus Matthias who became the 12. He didn't get taught by them the gospel. He learned it from Jesus. And then he goes out and begins to teach it. And he first is teaching to Jews, just kind of like Jesus did. But along the way, he really is authorized to teach to Gentiles. And he's been doing that, including in Ephesus, and that's where this is all taking place. 
God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. So in other words, Paul's got a handkerchief tucked in his pocket. He's preaching the gospel. He's doing miracles. Somebody says, hey, my Aunt Sally can't get here. She's bedridden. She's stuck at home, whatever. She's watching on social media because she couldn't come here. You preach today, Brother Paul. You know, is there anything you can do for her? He pulls the hanky out. He gives it to the person. They take it to her house. Next thing you know, she's cured. Just like that. That's what it says. Not Except for the social media part. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. So, Paul's not there to command the evil spirits out. Paul's not there to lay on hands. Just something that was in contact with his body is there and that's enough that diseases left them and evil spirits went out. Now, if you see that happening uh, and you're an entrepreneur, the first thing you start thinking, man, I like give me about a thousand of those handkerchiefs because I could take them down to wherever and sell them for a pretty good price, right? Because they'll heal your disease. So we got doctors are making their living selling their, their elixirs and so on. All I got to do is get a handkerchief from Paul and I take it down to Antioch and I'll rub it on a lady and she'll pay me a hundred gold or whatever. And I'll get paid really, really well because now we can heal people. If it's formulaic and replicable, then you can take this and you can take it anywhere and frankly, you can make a lot of money. But that isn't even what begins to happen, really. Watch this story unfold. You may already kind of know where this is going. So this has been happening. Diseases are leaving them. Evil spirits are being cast out. Verse 13 says, But also, so at about the same time, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. So stop on that comma for a second. So we got some people who are going around essentially casting out evil spirits and trying to do healings, naming over those people the name of Jesus. Okay, that's, so that's happening. They're casting out. I do want you to understand that the word there where it says attempted is not really in the original language. <clears throat> There's a word there that means they were doing it and uh, we might like to think they were failing. I mean, you might want to think in your flesh that they were failing, but I submit to you all they had to have was a hanky. Right? And they were doing pretty good. So this is an extraordinary time where God is doing extraordinary things. And I'm not saying we don't live in an extraordinary time where God's doing extraordinary things. What I'm saying to you is these people saw that Paul did not have to be there. And if Paul had Jesus in him, and Paul was preaching for Jesus, then these people saw that Jesus did not have to be there. You understand? They looked at what Paul was doing with Jesus in him, and amazing things happening. And then they see the handkerchiefs being taken from Paul, taken elsewhere, and the amazing thing still happens. So by logical conclusion, it's formulaic and replicable. We don't need Paul. And we don't need Jesus. I'm just being logical. Based on what they saw, they didn't need Paul and they didn't need Jesus. They needed a token. They needed something that would work, but they didn't need Paul or Jesus. Now these guys don't have hankies. It doesn't say they do anyway. And so they use instead the name of Jesus. And they were saying something like this. I adjure you, that means I call you out or I force you away, by Jesus whom Paul preaches. You follow? And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. Okay? So now this is that word that says they were essentially, I mean, it doesn't literally mean success, but it means they were doing it. They were calling out you could say 
in a replicable fashion, repeating the process of calling out the name of Jesus over people who had evil spirits. It doesn't say they were taking money for it. It doesn't say they were trying to prosper by it. They probably were prospering. People get a good rep. People get, uh, you know, God gets the glory, but then they kind of get a little glory along the way. You know what I'm saying? So get a little glory for yourself. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish, high, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. They were going around and they were casting out evil spirits by calling the name of Jesus over people. Verse 15. And an evil spirit answered, and the evil spirit that they were currently, so the story now goes to right now actually happening. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Okay. Now, I want to say to you that this verse has been, these verses have been preached a lot, and maybe even by me, and I think there are other things to be seen here, but there's one really important thing that I want you to see, and it's in the recognize and the know. Okay. So, this translation does a pretty good job. It translates the words differently. It's two different words for to know something. This recognize, I recognize Jesus, is to say, I know Jesus. If I was in Jesus' presence, I would know who he is. I have seen Jesus. I have met Jesus. I have seen his picture. I've memorized what he looks like, whatever. I know Jesus. I know this person. Got it? The second word here, where it says, I know about Paul, and the New American Standard translates, I know about, is a word that really means, I think that person makes sense. Or I have a basic understanding of who that person is, what they stand for, what they're about, right? So really what the demon or evil spirit says to the seven sons of Sceva is like, yeah, I know Jesus. And Paul makes sense. But who the heck are you? Right? See the logic there? That's a good way of kind of in modern vernacular saying it. I recognize Jesus. And I know about Paul. But who are you? And at that moment in time, these men who believed that what they were doing was formulaic and repli replicable are now challenged. They're challenged by the very evil spirit that they were abjuring, that they were going to cast out, right? They realize that if it is formulaic and replicable, I think we might have missed a spot. We missed a point. Because it worked before, seemed to be working anyway, but now we got one that's literally speaking back to us through this person probably, through their mouth, but speaking back to us, and we seem to have missed a key point in what's replicable. In other words, we're missing an ingredient. And that's what most people teach out of this verse. They say because they didn't know Jesus, because they had not had a personal relationship with Jesus, that it wasn't replicable for them. But if they had known Jesus it would have been replicable for them. You follow the logic? Or they say, because they didn't know Jesus, they missed the formula because a key point of the formula is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, we want to say, they missed the formula. They left out the key ingredient, which is true. That's not, you can't deny that. They left Jesus out of it, really. They just brought his name. They didn't bring Jesus himself. They just brought his name, which is powerful. And it had been working in theory, Right? But it wasn't working. It didn't work this time. So then they said, the, the evil spirit says, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Verse 16 says, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them. Remember, there are seven of them. They might have been kind of pansies. 
But regardless, there's seven of them. doesn't matter. It could be the weakest guys on the face. There's seven of them and one of him. Right? So he leaps on them, overcomes them, beats the snot out of them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So in, the, in a moment they figured out this is somehow not, either we're not following the right formula or it's not actually formulaic. We have not managed to repeat it as we did before. Something has gone drastically wrong here. And the next moment, they're beat up and running out the house, either half-dressed or not dressed at all, completely humiliated, right, and wounded. Verse 17, it goes on a little further. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. So everybody heard the story. Anecdotically, because they knew somebody who saw it, because they heard it from the seven sons of Sceva, whatever. Everybody heard the story. It gets really spread far and wide, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And listen what happens. And fear, fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Now, isn't that what they were doing? Weren't they magnifying the name of the Lord Jesus? They were calling the name of the Lord Jesus out over people with evil spirits and casting evil spirits out of them with a, some small moderation of success until they ran into this guy that kicked their butt and kicked them out the house naked and wounded. Right? So it sounds like on the surface they're magnifying Jesus. They're pronouncing the name of Jesus and trying to use the power of pronouncing the name of Jesus. So I submit to you, Christians, sometimes do this. I realize I'm facing an evil spirit. I rebuke you, evil spirit, in the name of Jesus. And by the way, if you haven't done so, I highly recommend you go through your house, if somebody, especially if somebody lived there before, and pray through your house and commit your house to God and rebuke any evil spirits that might be there. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. What I am saying is these guys learned the hard way that it is not formulaic and replicable. And I'll come back to that in a second. We'd like it to be. It's not like calling the bug man, right? So, fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. We're almost done with the text, 18. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. You hear that now? Who, who's doing it now? Who's coming and confessing and disclosing their practices? The believers. People who had already believed, Right? So somewhere along the line, they believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And now, as the name of Jesus is magnified, they question, they start thinking, uh, something's wrong with me and my walk if I am truly a follower of the Lord. There's something, there's a disconnect. Something doesn't add up. And what they decide to do is go before the crowds, go before believers and non-believers alike, go before anyone who will listen and confess their shortcomings, essentially. Their, the things that they were doing, that they were hiding. They, uh, what, did, what did we hear even in our inspirational moment time? Let's be transparent. They decided to be transparent in front of anybody and everybody. They divorced themselves of a need to look okay and instead came forward to look real and in Christ. Why? Only one thing changed. The one thing that changed was this event where the seven sons of Sceva who were casting out evil spirits, it became obvious what? 
It's not formulaic and replicable. You don't just get to do one thing and then boom, you're okay. Or even here's 10 process or even a million things. If there was a million things on the list and you check them all off by the time you die, you get saved. It just doesn't work that way. These people, as a fear fell on them, Many also who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. 19 says, And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all, and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Before we go into the points kind of and look at the nitty-gritty of it, which is, which is a little bit messy, a little bit sloppy today, won't, won't follow if you're a note-taker, won't follow as neatly as you might like it to, but it's there. It didn't for me, and so it won't for you either, I don't think, unless you see it differently. But before, I want you to see that it says, So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. We began with, and God was performing ex- extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. What's the difference? What's the difference between God performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul and the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing? The difference is in how people were reacting to what was going on. The hearts of the people, the choices that they were making. Hear me now, as much as we might like it to be, because we are humans. I, I figured this out when I was about uh, 12 or so. We got out of bed on a Saturday morning and my mom was kneeling over top of the bed. My dad had worked third shift and had only gotten about three or four hours sleep, but he had promised to take us to go to some flea markets and garage sales that day. And my mom was kneeling on his bed and she was giving him Coke, Coca-Cola in a glass. And I said to my mom, I said, what are you doing there? And she said, I'm giving him Coca-Cola, help him wake up. So I figured out when I was very young, 12 or so, if I drink caffeine for a while anyway, I feel boosted if you wake up. It'll make you feel more alert. And so I began to drink a lot of caffeine over the years and more and more because it was formulaic and replicable. And so as it was formula, if it's formulaic and replicable, you do it, right? If, it's what, if it achieves the end result, the thing that you want, then you do that. So as Christians, as, as human beings, we want it to be formulaic. This is how exactly you do it. And I'm saying there aren't any formulas, but living for Christ is not formulaic. And I'm not saying that it's not replicable, because if, repl- if it wasn't replicable, then Jesus wouldn't invite us to do that. He says, now you, you know, you're forgiven, go and sin no more, come follow me, you know, those things like that, if it wasn't possible. Uh, so, there's a couple things I want you to see here. In this, in this passage, we're asked, is casting out evil spirits formulaic and replicable? And right away, of course, based on what I'm teaching, you want to say, no, it's not, right? Except what? They had a limited amount of success previous to this event. So, here is the actuality of it. The name of Jesus is so powerful. Just the name of Jesus is so powerful that evil spirits react to it. I was sitting in a dimmed room with books on the walls, myself and another believer woman who was serving in the ministry at that time, and we were talking to a 14-year-old girl who the night before had kicked her grandmother in the jaw with combat boots and broke her jaw because her grandmother was telling her she had to clean up her room. 
And she was basically saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. And I stopped her and I said, look at me. I just, want, just look at me for a second. And her eyes were somewhat dilated as, as, if, as if she was in the dark. And it was a dim room, but they were somewhat dilated. And I looked and I saw the space in, in the middle of her eye look so deep and so far. It was like outer space ten times over with no stars. Like looking into the middle of a black hole. And it, it kind of shook me. I'm like, oh, that's creepy. I asked her, I said, will you say to me that I love Jesus? Just say, I love Jesus, or I'm living for Jesus as Lord. And she said, I love... I said, okay, just say, I'm living for Jesus as Lord. And she said, I'm living for... We tried about seven different ways. Try Jesus as my Lord. So if you say that word first, you've got to get it run up. So I, I'm, I, and I said, try saying, uh, I just want to tell you Jesus is Lord. And so you'll, be talk, you'll already be talking, and then you just say that word. And as I spoke with her, she literally could not say the name Jesus. She could not say the word. Now, I've heard this story told a thousand times. I had never heard it before then, but I've heard it told a bunch of different times by a bunch of different people all over the world. And, uh, Bondage Breakers, a great book about demon problems, and, and he tells the story in there. But this is way before I had ever heard of that. And I'm a relatively young Christian working in the youth ministry, and I'm working with this young lady, and I said... I said to the other person sitting there softly, and I said, I think we've got a problem. <laughs> and, I, and I said, don't freak out on me, but we're now going to try to pray to God and ask for power, and we're going to pronounce the name of Jesus over this girl and, and see if we can cast evil spirits out of her. And, and uh, sure enough, we did, long story short, and about 20 minutes later, uh, she was perfectly normal, talking to you just like, like I'm talking to you today, or you would talk about coffee in the hallway or whatever, just talking to you like a normal person. Her eyes were normal, and she agreed with me to write a journal to deal with some of her anger issues. She was already seeing a counselor, which really she felt like wasn't really helping, but she agreed to continue to do that and, and take steps. And She was just like a normal girl. We were at the life station one Monday afternoon after services, and there was a man who came in, and we were, at first he came in during about 10, 15 minutes into the service, and worship was already over, he came in, and he sat down, and, and every time I would preach something, he would react, he would say something, and almost every time it was contrary to what I was trying to say, or it was in a seductive way getting people to disagree with me. And so after three or four times, I, I stepped up to him, uh, he was in like a second chair on the right-hand side, so I was standing like this from the front of the chairs here, like this to the guy. And I said, okay, listen, I will talk to you after right now. I'm going to tell you to shut up. And guess what he did? He shut up. Several times, several moments, he kept going, like he had a thought. He was going to say something. But he never said a word. Never spoke. I didn't say in the name of Jesus. I just told him to shut up. So then he shut up. I was sitting, and I'll get back to the story in one second. I was sitting in a house with a woman who was having mood swings. And she was telling me that she was not saved, but she wanted to be. But the whole time she was talking to me, wanting to be saved, and I was explaining the basics of the gospel, and I was about ready to pray with her, her husband was sitting in the room too. And every time she would say something, he would say, Yeah, I've been trying to tell you that. You're so stupid. You won't listen to me. And things like that. And he did it over the space of about 10 minutes. And finally, I, call, I stood up and I called him by name and I said, listen to me. I'm trying to lead your wife to the Lord. You need to sit there and shut up. And guess what he did? He sat there and shut up for about the next 8 to 10 minutes. At the end of which she prayed to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And we baptized her in that baptismal right there. She began to live for the Lord. 
She later had some serious health problems and walked away from the Lord, and things went soft. But the bottom line is, sometimes the enemy starts to speak up, and in shutting up, the Word of God actually gets out. You understand? It's not, it's not miracles. It's the power of God and what God does, suppressing the power of the enemy, and he's feeble by comparison. Is casting out evil spirits formulaic and replicable? Yes, it is. But, right? In this case, it fails miserably. So then everybody wants to go, okay, formulaic. Well, you've got to have Jesus in it. No, wait. They were successful sometimes. People who don't know Jesus are successful sometimes. Anybody ever see the movie Ghostbusters? The original, the original movie Ghostbusters? And I don't know, I didn't see the later when they remade it or whatever, so I don't know. I think I had chicks for the Ghostbusters, I think. But, which, you know, you want to make, remake a movie and get people to come out and see it, switch all the main characters from male to female or vice versa, and you got a good shot. But anyway, the first movie come out, and there's this movie where this, this guy, he's really lecherous, and it was sort of, you know, dirty. I mean, they didn't have sex or anything, but he was he was sneaking into this girl's apartment, and, and she was there, and she had seen something, and he goes over to the piano, he goes, ding, 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 he plays creepy music on the piano just for a few minutes, it wasn't really music, it was just notes, and he goes, they hate it when I do that. Right? There are people who have found ways to do things to manipulate the spiritual realm. What is it called? What am I talking about? You know, it was in the text. It's called magic. Real, not the stage magician that shows up and like that. No, magic, the, re the religion, magic, sorcery. They have found ways. And that's what these guys were essentially doing. Why do you think everybody started burning their books? Did somebody go out and say, hey, let's all burn our books because then maybe Jesus will love us? Right? Did somebody say, hey, Paul said we shouldn't have these books? It's not in the text. It doesn't say that. Paul never told them they couldn't have those books. Paul preached Jesus and preached the Word of God. And in the mirror of Jesus and the Word of God, they realized that magic or, or forcing, trying to force God's hand, trying to get God to do things the way you want God to do things or to do what you want to do, manipulating God, which is what magic is. The, if, you, if you look it up in an encyclopedia or whatever, magic, the religion magic, ends with a K, by the way, if you're trying to Google it. The religion magic basically is doing certain things, cutting the head of a chicken, doing whatever, voodoo is magic, right? Sorcery, it's all the same thing. Doing that to try to force evil spirits and powers that be, and even God, to do something in response to what you're doing. It might be trying to force Zeus or something, but the bottom line is all sorcery. Right? And the idolatry. And they try to do these things to force the spiritual realm to take a certain shape. And sometimes it has an effect. And that's what these guys did. They pronounced the name of Jesus by way of doing sorcery or magic, manipulating the, the spiritual realm, and it had an effect. And then they ran into somebody that was able to employ the right tactic to break the formula down completely. And when people saw how feeble magic sorcery is compared to God, they repented of their magic and sorcery. Not just non-believers who were reading in the books how to do these things, but also believers. Back up. The believers began to confess what they were doing that they should not have been doing. They began to become transparent. They began to become open about it. Stop being hypocritical. They walked out into the light with Jesus. They became real Christians. You say, well, if these were believers, they probably already real Christians. Yes, but those real Christians that had followed a formula on how to get saved now realize that the formula only goes so far. 
and they repented of their deeds and they became public about it, submitted to accountability, whatever. Because casting out evil spirits, while it may be formulaic and replicable, if you use a formula and you repeat it that way, you are at best practicing magic, not following the Lord. I didn't believe that rock was real up there anyway, the one that's onto the paper. All right? Being saved from suffering. Is being saved from suffering formulaic and replicable? Remember, they were casting out evil spirits on someone. They were healing people or trying to, right? When they bring the cloth, that's healing someone. When they bring the cloth, it's casting out evil spirits. Is it formulaic and replicable? Well, God... Speaking through Paul, they bring the cloth, the lady is healed. So they did it again. Well, here's an apron Paul had. Let's go use that. Oh, she's healed. Is it replicable? In that moment, day and time, it was replicable. It was formulaic and replicable. If we bring a cloth from Paul, who is speaking on behalf of the Lord, we bring a cloth from him, we touch it to this person, they get healed. It doesn't fail. So it's replicable. It's formulaic and replicable, at least in that day and time. Except what? Where is the power coming from to do that? How did we start out? Extraordinary miracles performed by God through the hands of Paul, right? So it's only formulaic and replicable as long as there's power in it. The power was coming from God, right? The power is coming from God, the miracles are happening. And by the way, while the miracles are happening and all these incredible things are happening, what are the people doing? They're living hypocritical lives. Oh, we need God to do miracles. Oh, God, heal us. Oh, yes, God healed us. God gave us exactly what we needed. God showed up just the time paid that bill. God took care of us. So we must be all good, right? We're doing everything. We're supposed to be doing everything's right. Do we get out of bed today? We just keep living the way we're living because it's formulaic and replicable. God's going to do it again. So, so if we do get in trouble, we do have a problem. God is going to do it again. So we can just trust in the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. That's magic. God is not a Bic lighter who will light your cigarette or a key that will start your car. God is not a four-way that will take off the lug nut nor a drill that will make a hole. That's not formulaic and replicable like you can keep God in your pocket and whip Him out when you need Him. No. No, no, no. Our God is way more alive than that. You see, is it formulaic and replicable? No. There is a word for it. It's organic. The church is organic, pictured as the body of Christ. The kingdom is organic. The activities of the kingdom, they are organic. They start with God, and when they end with God, something actually happened in the middle. It's organic. Is it messy? Yes. Why? Because literally every human being that ever lived has sinned against God, which was a stupid decision, and now is living a stupid life. We're all messy. And God is saving messy people and bestowing righteousness over top of the mess. That is the very nature of what it is. If it was formulaic and replicable and you could do it without Jesus, then Jesus would not have to come to earth to die, which he did, and that's messy. We could go on, but we don't need to. Will people be saved from suffering through formula, recipe? Is it replica replicable? Yes, to some extent. 
Ultimately, no. You can't do it, but God can. And there is no formula by which you can force God to do it or even entreat God properly to do it. People say, if you pray asking the Lord and believe and pray in Jesus' name and believe that you have what you pray, you will get it. That's formulaic. And it's replicable. By the way, done it hundreds of times. And sometimes I got it and sometimes I didn't. And the great beauty of it is most of the time I have remembered to end with but your will, not my will, be done. But in the times that I did not, some of the times I got it and some of the times I didn't. Is it formulaic and replicable to say to God, I pray to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and I expect I will get this blessing. Or as uh, so commonly in certain churches has said, I hear what you say and I receive it. And so because I'm receiving what you say, I am going to get that blessing. So I hear you say I'm going to be wealthy. I am receiving the wealth, brother. That's not the way it works. God has a plan that goes so far above our plan, it is complex, and yet it is simple. We as Christians are called to go out and do battle with evil spirits. Jesus sent the disciples out. You'll like this one when you actually pay it, if you actually pay attention to what happens in there. He sent the disciples out. Um, in Matthew 10, 8, and Jesus says to the disciples, He said, Go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without paying. In other words, you, you received no cost to you, go and give. And so you know what they do? Hang on now. You know what they do? They go out and they do exactly that. I don't think we have a story specifically in Scripture of them raising the dead, but we have stories of them healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, and casting out demons, for sure. They do all of those things. All, hold on to your hats, 12 of them. Judas Iscariot as well. Is it formulaic and replicable to go out in Jesus' name and do battle in the spiritual realm? Yes, it is. And you can do it when you're not even saved. At a moment, it will break down, probably more than one moment, but for certain at the moment of salvation it will break down because not everybody who says unto him, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but the one who followed the commands of the Father. Why? Oh, so all I have to do is follow God's commands and then I'll be fine because it's replicable. I just thought, here's the rules. I'm going to go through Scripture. I'm going to read every Bible verse. I'm going to write them all down over this page and I'm going to follow them all. All the commands, every single one. And if I just do that, then I'll be saved. Of course, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow after me. And if you do that, you might actually be saved. Unless you only assess yourself as doing that and don't actually do it. You see, our God is alive. Ariana, come to me. She said, Daddy, get me some milk. I said, sure. She comes to me at another time, the same day. Daddy, get me some milk. No, get yourself. Why? Is getting milk in my house formulaic and replicable or not? Well, yeah. You know how to get milk? Ask Daddy. Well, sometimes you ask Daddy, and Daddy says, get it yourself. Because maybe Daddy's working a plan or Daddy's got something going on, right? Our God is alive. 
he's going to respond. Now, he doesn't change. He loves you. He favors you. He works in your life all the way. All the time. He chastises those whom he loves. He disciplines. He corrects. He sends the sermon. He gives wisdom to all who ask for it fairly and without being irritated at us for asking, etc. There are some things that are formulaic in relating to God. If you don't seek righteousness and follow after my name, you will not have righteousness. If you do not call upon the name of the Lord, you will not be saved. If you do not come to him through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will not get to him, for he is the way and the truth and the life. There are some things that are formulaic. And to a degree, they're replicable. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Believe with your heart, confess with your mouth. Believe with the heart, confess with your mouth. Be saved. Right? It's to some degree replicable. But then you take that to somebody who wants to be saved, and they do it, and it's clear and obvious a week later when they tell you, no, I'm not saved, that they actually weren't saved. They tell you, I'm not saved. You know now that they were not saved, even though they seem to be following the pattern. It's just not good enough to seem to be following the pattern. Here's what you actually have to do. You actually have to come into a relationship with the God of the universe, who is alive. To do so, you're going to have to be alive. To become alive, you need grace, which is not formulaic or replicable. Sharing the gospel, formulaic or replicable. Paul says, I believe in the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I would share it with everybody because in it is the power unto salvation. It is the ability to come into a relationship with God. It's not formulaic and replicable. Simon the sorcerer, I see you. You're doing all these amazing things. And, and you lay hands on people and they get the Holy Spirit. Let me pay you. You lay hands on me and I'll get the Holy Spirit. Is it, I want it to be formulaic and replicable. Just let me pay you. And then I'll... No, you're going to go to hell because you tried to buy what cannot be bought. It's not formulaic and replicable. It's organic. He is alive. Yes, I understand that there are all kinds of verses that say that we will have victory over the spiritual realm as believers. And there are some verses that tell us that we will do certain things as believers. For example, James 1, 26, 27, so they're talking about religion, right? And the word there, religion, uh, you know, maybe it's probably the best possible English translation, but it really means relating to God or really means living a pious life, worship in pious piety, right? It's not really a word for it in English. And so it says that re real religion is what? Go ahead. You don't want to mess it up? You're so you're... Yeah. Yeah. Go to them in their distress. Yeah. And... There you go. And keep yourself from being polluted by the world. See, it's not about, it's not formulaic. What does Ron keeping himself from being polluted by the world look like? Does it look anything like Chris keeping himself from being polluted by the world? Now you want it to because there's a big, the top 500 of nastiness, right? So you're going to have to avoid pornography, you're going to have to not become addicted by drugs, you're not going to have to become a foul mouth spewing nasty jerk. Right? You're not gonna have, you can't go around slicing tires everybody get mad at. We get, we get the top 500. We, can, we can't murder people. We can't commit adultery on our wives. We can get the top 500. We can say, if I just don't do those things, I won't be spoiled by the world, right? That's not quite that simple, is it? Because that's only the top 500. The human mind, being creative and full of imagination, is able to create millions of ways to sin against God. You will never come up short. But walk with the Lord... And the enemy will flee from you. 
Draw near to God and He will draw near unto you. Rebuke the enemy and He will flee from you. It's not formulaic and replicable. This is not religion. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ His Son. And some people think they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ His Son, but basically they're hypocrites. What they really ought to do is take the things in their life that they are using, that they think are formulaic and replicable ways of getting ahead in the kingdom, of doing what God wants them to do. Whatever. They ought to take those things and burn them at the altar and say, God, I'll be nothing unless you're everything in me. And those are words we can understand. If something is formulaic and replicable, we follow the formula and we get it. This is the problem with Christianity. This is why the world is not beating down the doors of the church building to hear about what we have. Because it's not formulaic and replicable. People go, oh, I got a headache. They go to the cupboard, they take ibuprofen. Or whatever their particular drug of choice is. Over the counter, a couple bucks, and the headache hopefully goes away. Oh, I got a headache and I took medicine and it won't go away. People go to the doctor. It's formulaic and replicable. The doctor says, okay, I want you to take this medicine, change your diet, do this. They do that, the headache goes away. It's formulaic and replicable. Everybody wants that. Except what? Life. Life is not formulaic and replicable. It's organic. Organic is messy. Because there's another mind involved. You get married. You marry your wife, you marry your husband, you expect to live happily ever after like the, the girl in the Prince and the Cinderella story. And maybe you do live essentially blessed ever after, but happy ever after? The disciples, the disciples say, if this is what marriage is like, Lord, then we don't want to have to do with it. Because it isn't easy to bring another living being into contact with yourself and to stay open, and for them to stay open, and you become one. In fact, it's impossible. It's only done by grace. Why would she want you? Why would he want you anyway? You're a mess. You're a hot mess, covering up your best junk. Being the best person you could possibly be. Applies to friends, applies to parents, applies to... We talk about not being transparent, not encouraging one another. Why? Why don't you go to talk to somebody when they're, you're upset because they did, said or did something you think you don't, you don't like it and you think it might even be sin? And you, why, What holds you back from going to talk to them? And if you go and talk to them, why would you not talk to them with encouragement and love? Because they're a hot mess and you're a hot mess and if there's any righteousness, it only comes from one place and that's Jesus. The church is messy. The kingdom is messy. Not messy like there's stuff laying all over the place and you're going to trip or fall because the whole job of everybody who's actually in the kingdom is to keep the floor clear. But it's messy like as in we don't know God. We are learning God. We are growing in God. You have to learn to do what it is that God wants you to do and then make sure that as you learn to do what it is that God wants you to do that that doesn't become formulaic. I'm just doing this so God will love me. That's sorcery. I'm just doing this so God will bless my finances. Sorcery. I'm just doing this so my kids will grow up and be what I want them to be. Sorcery. If you're doing it for the results, that's sorcery. Bring the books and burn them at the altar. Repent of your sin. 
Stop being a hypocrite. Stop claiming it as wisdom. Stop claiming it as the way... I, I get it. The, the Word is very critical at times of our behaviors. And then you get very critical of other people's behaviors. That critical nature has got no place in you. Be an encourager. Right? Everything comes out of your mouth. You be encouraging. I, I get it. I don't, I, don't, I don't like this. But instead of going to say, I don't like this, you say, that person is, could be in the midst of a very difficult struggle and I have the opportunity to go in there in their distress and love on them the way the Lord would have me to do and, and it might actually take more work from me. Just how far does this go? The kingdom of God, the church, the kingdom of advance, it's organic. And it's so messy that if you lived your life perfectly, with no sin, always looking to God and saying, Lord, I'm only going to do what you would have me to do. If you lived your life like that, so perfectly that your death could actually atone for someone else's failings, if you lived your life like that, this is how organic and messy it is. You would die on a cross. You think Jesus thought there's a formula to relating to God? You think Jesus thought it's replicable? No. Jesus lived his sinless life and died on the cross to pay for sins because God is alive. And after Jesus' death on the cross, he is alive. Don't kid yourself, he will come again one day and he will call out all the hypocrites and they'll wind up on one side of the throne and the people who actually love the Lord and are trying to live organic Christianity with God, letting God work through them and do the things they would do and being obedient to God and answering his call and talking to him about their problems and listening to his response and asking him what do I do and doing what he tells them and reading the word and doing what it says. People who are living their prayer life rather than their gossip life, people who are living their worship life rather than their listen to and be entertained life, people who are living their help, people who are in trouble rather than I'm in trouble, I need help life, people who are denying themselves and taking up their cross daily and following after Christ, those people are going to be on one side of the throne and everybody else is going to be on the other. And you can like it or you can lump it but we will all put our knee down. We will all recognize that He is Lord of all. And some people will be like, well, it's unfair. The rules were changing. I could never figure it out. Yes, your life is unique. You have different rules from everybody else. You have to listen to God and let God direct you. And it's organic. You've heard of the famous I am statements where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And they, they took them to mean that He was saying that He is God. I submit to you, messy I am, says God. Come. Now, I don't mean he says he's disorganized. He knows exactly what's going on. It's, we're the ones that have a hard time understanding. I am alive. I'm asking you to come into a relationship with me through my son and live day in and day out as hard as it may be, even if I put you on a cross, even if you bleed, even if you sweat, even if you run out of yourself, of your resources, of your time, and, and you come in absolute desperation to me saying, God, I have nothing left and take only what I give you because I am alive, because I am God.
Christianity, the church, the kingdom is not formulaic and replicable. God loves you and he wants a personal relationship with you. And yes, because you are messy, that relationship is going to get messy. And if that's enough that you don't want any part of it, then you ain't saved yet. If you're spending your time and your energy trying to make it less messy, trying to extend yourself less, trying to take less risk, then you ain't saved yet. You're still just thinking about it. You may believe, but you are not following the Lord unless you say, okay, God, whatever it looks like. Let me pray with you in closing and we'll be through. Father in heaven, I, I know we've read these verses before and we thought about how what they were really missing was a relationship with you. Now I see, Lord, that there's something more there. Truth is, they they did believe in you. They were even trying to do good. Casting out of the spirits is always good. They were even calling on the name of the Lord Jesus to do so. Calling out the name of the Lord Jesus anyway. Lord, help us to be reminded today that our Jesus talk and our Christianese and our fancy church words they really do us no good whatsoever unless what we mean is we're God's people trying to listen to God and do what God would have us to do and be willing to receive His grace be willing to be cleansed because He cleanses us be willing to be transparent. To repent of the things that we're doing that are not godly. We get busy doing the things that are. And we get control of our minds. And we would remain unsoiled by the world. And we would go to others who are in distress. And bring some help. Some hope. And some truth. that we would always major in truth. And that we would recognize that we won't always know exactly what's right to do unless we hear it directly from you. Even when we see sin in other people's lives, things that go straight, straight directly against Scripture, the Word gives us one and only one tactic in that case. And that is that we would go to them and call them to repentance. There's no room for gossip. There is no room for slander. We can't feel better about ourselves if we've not fallen into the same trap. We can't think, oh, I wish they hadn't, but whatever. They must think they know what they're doing. The Lord, we can go to them and call them back. Call them into your presence for the first time if that's what it takes. Our gospel is often encapsulated in just a few points, the ABCs of salvation. When you get to that C, and it talks about confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So many people think that's formulaic. They just stand up and say, I believe in Jesus and I will follow Him. So they're now saved. They'll go to heaven when they die and they'll never, never backtrack, never fall, never fail, never suffer, and never fall out. But they also don't necessarily have to do the things that they're supposed to do because now they have their insurance policy. And that just isn't the gospel in its entirety. There's nothing wrong with that, but someone, a human being, a living person,
person needs to be there to explain this confessing what you believe may not be enough. Believing what you believe is a good start. Living what you believe could be enough. God help us be a people that stops trying to repeat the processes. Stop trying to hope for that everything will fall in line if we just do things the right way. And just gets out of bed in the morning and says, okay, Lord, have your way with me today. And pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, before we go, this is going to conclude our services today. Um, we're not going to have a song in the interest of uh, just our focus, but if, if you're here today, and you realize that you have sinned against the Lord, and you need to confess a sin, this is the place and time to do it. Because I repent. I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. If the Lord will let me, I'm not going to do that anymore, whatever that might be. And no, no judgment on the part of anyone else. Just like they did. Burn your books while you can. Not because I want it. God doesn't want you to say anything like that. Is there anybody who needs a clear slate? Anybody just needs to step up and just say, I want to be before the Lord every day. And I've not necessarily been if I want to be. Anybody? Alright. This has been your opportunity to get a clean slate. Don't let this the, the next opportunity pass. If you go tomorrow, realize, hey, if I have sinned on Monday, I should be open about it, and I should be repenting, and I should be turning away from that. Just, just drop it like a hot potato, because it's just going to make your relationship with God more messy. Okay? It's not formulated and replicable, but that's the step you could take. Anybody else have a word before we close? Alright, I do want to remind you. Did you have something? I just want to read John 3, 19 through 21 real quick. Go for it. It just says, This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Let me also encourage you, as the Lord just popped this in my head, to read sometime this week, if you can, Psalm 91. The latter part of Psalm 91 includes a specific reference to Jesus, but there's some interesting things in there speaking to the church of Christianity. And I was going to say, remind you that there is a um, there are boxes of produce here, boxes of desserts, Jugs uh, of milk. Uh, the pantry, in that sense, is open. If you don't need it, but you know somebody that does, you're welcome to take it to them. Uh, you don't even have to give us their name if you don't want to do that. But um, we do have those supplies here for you to take so you can do ministry. Think of someone who might need them, or if your family needs them, then definitely take one. Okay? Milk, um, which the milk is good through the 25th of July, so we've got about six, seven days. So we want to give those away. If you know somebody, let's give them away. Produce, boxes of snack cakes. We might have a couple other things too, but that's what I know of. Okay? All right. God bless you all. This concludes our service today. Go you there for and be the church.
Spirit of God, man, we're hooking up. I know you're praying, yeah. Danny. I'm praying for you guys. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, yeah, if you want to know a little more, just to know a little more.
Did you eventually stop leaving them everywhere? Or do you still do that? 